Hello and welcome back to The Mentors. This is Vadim. And Sergey. Okay, no, this is this is both Vadim. I was trying to make his voice sound higher than mine because he's not here right now. But y'all know that we actually sound pretty much exactly the same. Actually, we've talked about the fact that when we're editing this show, we often don't know who is talking. <laughs> so I'll be thinking, oh, wow, that's actually a really smart thing that I said. And then I realized it was Sergey, and and I'm incredibly disappointed by that fact. No, I'm kidding. I'm very happy when Sergey says something insightful, as he often does, and I'm sure he's incredibly happy for me when I do too. Anyhow, you're listening to part two of our interview with Ishveen Anand, and if you didn't listen to part one, we do encourage you to go back to last week's episode and listen to the show. And if you haven't listened to The Mentors before, you should know that this is a show where we tell stories of ordinary people that became extraordinary entrepreneurs despite lack of experience, money, or connection, and a show where we dig into the details of how they get their business off the ground and how they actually execute in the very early days to make sure that they don't fail. Last week, we talked about the early part of her story, how she went from essentially being a sports agent to starting her own platform company, not an agency, but an actual product company, and ultimately getting into 500 startups and raising $1.4 million early on. In part two of our interview, we'll get more into the nitty-gritty of why and how Ishveen decided to be very product-focused from the very beginning, why for her it was important to focus on revenue right away, early on. She was making money from day one, and how over the lifetime of the company, they shifted their focus to make sure that the deal sizes could go up, the transaction value could go up as well. And obviously, generally, the value that they were bringing to their customers was getting better and better over time. What I love about Ishveen's story is it's not traditional. She wasn't a startup founder before this and didn't really know any of the playbook. But still, she saw an opportunity in the market, felt that there needed to be a difference and a change that was going to happen, regardless of whether she was going to start this business or not. When you see an opportunity that isn't being addressed, that is often the best time to try to do something about it. Even if you're not exactly sure how you're going to go about it, if the opportunity is there, that means the timing is there, and that means that somebody will fill that gap. Please enjoy part two of our interview with Ishveen Anand. And as always, thank you so much for being a listener of The Mentors. Yeah subscription in Jan 1 Got it. and mm-hmm. so we'd shown like you know it was steady growth so it wasn't mm-hmm. like you know I'll always say like YC numbers like crazy millions but it was also mm-hmm. it was enough that people were like okay big mark I mean you know there's a lot of things that go into that but like big market opportunity solid founding team and okay there's something here and you were charging the subscription to to the brand was it $200 a month was that it yeah, at that point it was like one ninety nine or two fifty a month, and then mm-hmm. we were making a percentage on the deal. But our deal sizes was super low at that point, like mm-hmm. super low. And um, did you get? Did you? Was the plan to at some point get into uh, capturing a, a portion of the transaction that occurs? You know, in case you have really big deals happening, big sponsorships. Yeah, so we were already doing that where we were we were charging a percentage, but 
I'd say like 80% of our deals at that time were product gifting. So essentially the mark, like, you know, we had these small brands come along and all they would do is like try and gift product through the marketplace to these athletes. So we were working with small athletes and small brands. Um, now I'd say it's, it's obviously a lot like bigger brands and bigger athletes and bigger deal values. So you were talking before about people coming to you and saying, okay, well, you're, you're really just an agency with a, with a website. Uh, or maybe trying to d- dismiss sort of the, the technology aspect of what you're doing, the scalability of what you were doing. How did you prove the scalability? And to what extent was the process automated? Because we find oftentimes with, with platforms in the first year or two, the founder really is sort of concierging the process and making the connections happen, making sure that the transactions happen, all of that. that how much of it was automated? How much of it was you having to intervene and actually broker these deals? Yeah, it was it was actually really automated from the get-go, um, which is I think that's why like a lot of people didn't believe it because they were like, well, what, like, hey, why would you have it so automated? Like, why were you not focusing on other things? Um, and as I said, you know, the reason why it was for us is because I was solving this very real problem, like oh, I want to create a scalable solution to doing deals. So like for me, it was always about product. It was all about the tech. Um, so it was really tough at that point to like get over that because, you know, it wasn't like we had it in the number, like the deal numbers weren't in the thousands that we were able to say like, hey, but look, we've done these thousands of deals. Uh, like a funny example of that is I, I remember like I, I put my husband on a, um, every time a deal goes through, we get an email, right? Like I get an email that's like, hey, d- this deal has been processed. And I added my husband to it just I can't remember why I was like, oh, let me, you know, let me show him some stuff. So I add him him to this automated email and this one time we're at home over the weekend and the deal goes through and he's like, was this you or like, was this the platform? And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, who did this deal? I'm like, what do you mean who did the deal? Like the brand, like put up a campaign, the athlete applied, they send a proposal, deal gets done. And he was like, oh, wow. And this is like my husband who had been working on the product for like three years. And I was like, oh my God, like if you, like who lives with me, can't believe that this is happening itself, like no wonder like no one else can. And so um, like now, honestly, like it's not like kosher, but I tend to, I'll often just like whip out my computer and give people a quick demo. And then they're like, oh my gosh, this is like well built out. Um, So it's it's definitely been an interesting learning to, to realize that there are a lot of like, products out there that are not fully baked and ours is fully baked and maybe the revenue doesn't didn't didn't reflect that um and that's been a learning for us now how did you make sure that you had the right types of brands out there that you know would increase the likelihood of a, of a deal happening and maybe if you could give us an example of a of a type of deal that you would see happen because you know you can i mean there's a unlimited amount of different types of brands I mean, you can certainly make guesses as to what brands would be attractive to to what teams or what specific athletes? But how did you pick those types of companies and um, and and actually figure out the types of deals that should be happening on the platform? Yeah, well, we basically had like this. You know, let's go after companies that athletes would naturally be interested in. Um, partly because a lot of the early stages, a lot of our deals were just product. And it, it kind of baked into our sales pitch, which was like, hey, like you're a CPG company, you're an electronic CPG company, athletes love CPG, like electronics, 
this makes sense. Um, and so we really just went for like, we ended up doing a lot of like CPG e-commerce based companies and the timing was really perfect because there's obviously so many more of them growing and they're always looking at new channels for marketing. So it was a nice alignment between like, okay, what, who would our athletes want to work with? And then who is naturally a, 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 like a segment in of industry that is growing their marketing spend and is always like innovating with new channels. Now let's talk about a little bit uh, about the team because you mentioned that you guys were able to accomplish a lot with just two people. Who were those two people, and how did the how did you grow the team? I guess beyond that, once you realized that you needed more people, more hands on deck, if you will, to make things grow. Yeah. So at the beginning, it was like um, you know, obviously I had this idea, and then I just found a technical guy. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's just build this product. And I did everything business and he did everything technical. Um, so that's really, you know, during 500, that's where we were, which was just like, we've got this platform. That's your thing. Selling the business is my thing. But it also made me very aware of, of product because, you know, at the end of the day, like I'm having to think about, okay, how, how can I translate what the customers are telling me or who I'm speaking to? How can we build that into product? I'd say our... Um, once we started scaling, it was it was on both sides, right? So UI UX became very important because especially as we started pitching bigger customers, they want something very easy to use and you know, seamless and, and we're, we're competing with their agencies. So I'd say like the front end side became much more important, which again, like starting out, could I have thought about it earlier maybe, but when we did it was fine so i think front-end design becomes really important and i'd say that to everyone where you know you you have to especially in the b2b world people are buying it because that it saves them time and it's convenient and ui ux heavily plays into that and then on on my side on the product side like you know, I started basically hiring people to do the same thing I was doing sales. Um, a, an interesting learning, which I think we hired a little bit too late, was customer success. So I think there's a lot of conversation around customer success right now. I think founders should probably bake it into their plan way earlier than they do. Um, usually what happens is you think about sales and generating revenue, then you start getting hit with like a retention thing. And then you're like, oh, let me think about how do I keep these customers successful? I think it should be way earlier because it could affect your pricing, your packaging, your positioning and everything else. Um, so that's really how we've essentially grown the team and, and how I thought about different like segments of the company. How did you find your co-founder early on? Did it come from your network? No, I didn't really have a network. Um, I was a bit of a growth hack. Like, I, you know, um, we, we went through a few different technical people actually really early on. So we went through someone who was a friend who um, never going to leave their, their job. Um, then we I found someone on like Elance or Odesk that was a freelancer to kind of help out. And then I found someone on AngelList um, who really became the, the person that, you know, helped help to scale the product. So I would say that like this... I didn't have this like dream, like dream team, and we're going to just launch together and be best friends. Um, it was definitely iterative. And, you know, you, I meet a lot of people who are non-technical who are like, oh, I'm looking for a technical co-founder. I think there's two ways to look at it. Like one is you could do it my way and just like go through a few people just to like get something out there. You know, if I'd waited a year to find the perfect technical co-founder, like would it have been a better story? I'm not sure. So 
you know, you can, today there's so many remote teams and there's so many like external DevOps teams and whatever else. So I think sometimes people put too much emphasis on like waiting to find a technical co-founder when that might not exist. Hmm. So talk about now a little bit, you know, you, you've been doing this for four and a half years, you're at 12 people, how, maybe even in the last year or so, how has the company fundamentally changed in terms of what you're doing? And you mentioned that you have bigger brands now and maybe uh, bigger athletes as well on, on the platform. So if, if you give us can give us any specifics around the average deal size or how much revenue you guys are doing now and how the business fundamentally changed uh, recently. Yeah, I'd say it's trying to, um, we've been doing a lot of work of really understanding like who is the customer, why are they buying us, what will keep them on, what makes a healthy customer, um, and and like the fundamentals around the business, which you can only do once you start getting enough customers in through the door. So that like that customer success piece. So that's been a big thing for us. And what we have realized is like, okay, if people spend more money on the marketplace, then they are more successful. Um, it helps to um, offset the, the subscription fee that they pay us. Um, another thing is like, you know, we have a lot of brands who come in looking for ROI. This is a marketing spend. Um, that can be tough. Like every single marketing channel, like, um, you know, the holy grail is to be able to deliver like a positive ROAS or positive ROI. So for us, it's like, can we help to um, deliver better ROI or do we have a different set of customers that are looking for brand awareness. So there's basically just a lot on like understanding the customer and what can we do to, to save more customers, right? Like we get people into the platform, but how do we keep them spending with us? Um, it, it was all around the ROI piece. Um, and just a really interesting thing, I suppose, is to, to, to understand, like when you think about a marketplace, dating, recruitment, like even an Airbnb or Uber, success is based on the match. Right. And so we were we had built our platform to allow for successful matches and we were doing that well. So that was the marketplace piece. However, when you think about marketing spend, which is essentially what we are, then success is based on ROI. What did I get from my spend? So that's post match. So it's imagine it's almost like um, judging every dating platform on the success of the date which I know some people do a little bit, but, but not really, right? Like if, if you get lots of dates through it, you're like, yeah, successful. If I get lots of like good applicants through it, I'm like successful. Don't judge the platform on every single outcome from each match. And that's what we were being judged on. So what we realized is we need to put a lot of work on in showing, okay, what does this match create in terms of impact? And then how do we amplify that impact? How do we increase ROI? And so this year for us has been a lot about like understanding the customer objectives beyond just like, oh, you want to work with an athlete. Okay, well, what are you looking at beyond that? And then trying to figure out how do we optimize that through the platform? How do we show it? And so it's really like been an evolution of, of everything platform and services in terms of like realizing that we are competing with other marketing channels. And just delivering a athlete to you is not enough. We have to make sure that, that what that athlete delivers you success based on the things that you, the goals and objectives you came in with. 
And what would you say now do you see as far as average deal sizes and, and spend on the platform? I'm sure it varies per customer, but is there uh, is there an average that you see? Yeah, it's uh, it, it massively varies. So our average deal size is around $2,000, but we've done deals for six figures. And we, we do, I'd say still say today, about 20% of our deals are product only. Like there's no cash involved. So it hugely varies, which is good because we're a marketplace and we have athletes who have a thousand followers and are like super niche skateboarders. And then we have like, you know, Danny Green, who has a million followers. So I think we need both small brands and big brands to keep small athletes and big athletes happy. But obviously for us, like one of the big things is that we're trying to trend to go to bigger deal sizes because we think the bigger the deal size, the more success that you can see from that relationship. Makes a lot of sense. And for you as the founder and CEO, I mean, it sounds like you're very sales focused and it's something that you're good at, um, but you have a team of 12 now. I'm sure you can delegate a lot. How has your day-to-day changed? What do you find yourself spending a lot of your time on? Yeah, I'd say it goes through phases. So like when we feel a bit stable, let's say like we've we've tested an experiment and we're just putting it out to market, then a lot of my time is spent with like management, right? So like, how do I manage my sales team, like my customer success team to implement on what, what, what we're doing. And then it, you know, as all good startups do, like we're always experimenting, we're always testing. And so I'd say when we're testing a new theory or looking at a new like product or looking at a new feature, then I'll probably go into a bit more execution mode where I'm the first person to try and take it to market, to try and understand like what's the impact, speak to customers, blah, blah, blah. And then once we figure it out, once I've done that and I'm like, okay, I feel stable, then it's again, okay, how do we train the team on a new thing? So I say my time splits between like being a, a manager and a CEO and then being that like, like that founder and figuring things out. And I guess the last question uh, that I want to ask you is, you know, in this journey of yours, obviously the kind of the blessing and the curse of entrepreneurship is it's at the same time exciting. Let's say when you get an incredible brand or athlete signed up that you thought you couldn't get on the platform, uh, but also can be, you know, very, very difficult or demoralizing at times when, let's say, a key employee leaves or something. So maybe you can tell us about in recent memory what has been a difficult moment that you got past and how are you able to do it? What do you think helped you get to the other side? Obviously, you're entrepreneurial. Obviously, you're resilient. But maybe you can give us a specific example of something that was actually difficult to get through. Recently. Yeah. I think like every, like you you're like hit the nail on the head. Like every email that comes through, in that, like very um, rarely are they like, you know, five out of 10, either they're like 10 out of 10 or they're one out of 10, right? So every morning you wake up and you open your inbox and you're like, okay, like you're almost like scared, like fuck, like this could be amazing or this could be really shit, right? So <laughs> there were such highs and such lows. Um, I think the main thing is trying to be logical, make sense of it and have a game plan. So, you know, like we had a team member who left recently and it was pretty mutual and the main thing is, it's like, okay, well, well, why? And you're like, well, okay, what, what, as a startup, you're always figuring out new things. Like this customer success piece is a big thing for us. And it's like, okay, we need to, we understand that we need to be more process driven, data driven. We need data points. This is, this is a science, not an art. And so 
you realize that, okay, here's what we need. And therefore what's happened, um, usually you're in a, like a, a slump because you can't make sense of it and you can't see a way out. Very rarely does that happen to me. And when it does, I tend to try and lean on like, you know, we have an amazing advisor, a guy called Michael Beachy, and uh, you know, he'll be like a go-to for me where I'm like, let me talk you through what's happening and try and make sense of it. And so I think the main thing is, is to not be weighed down. I mean, obviously you, you feel upset or whatever else, but the main thing is, is like, okay, what, what am I learning from this and, and putting a plan into place um, and being reactive to it. So I think that's the, that's the main thing, which is like, even when it's a good thing, you're like, okay, if I get a good thing, uh, a new client signs up or we do a new deal, you're like, okay, how can I scale this? So you're never really sitting on your laurels. You're always looking at like amplifying a good thing and like mitigating a bad thing by having a plan. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I think the best way to come out from under the abyss, so to speak, when something negative does happen is to act in one way or another. You met, you know, the show is called The Mentor. So obviously we think mentorship and having an advisor to go to is incredibly important and can be helpful. And it sounds like that's that's your go-to oftentimes. Having a co-founder to go to or even just maybe taking a few minutes to be upset, that's fine, or a day, whatever you need, but then turning around as quickly as possible and acting in one way or another, which means could mean you know, following up with an upset customer or reaching out to a new prospect that you might be able to onboard or acting in any way that could actually keep moving the ball forward because that's really the only way to get past those difficult moments is not to stay focused on something bad that's happened and try to move past it as quickly as possible yeah absolutely so um it's been really fun talking to you Shveen. you know not to inundate you with cold emails but what i'll say is if you're listening to the show and you're based in new york and you like customer success. It sounds like this is something that your company has been focused on recently. So if you listen to the show and you want to build a relationship with Ishveen and you think you have what it takes to be a kick-ass customer success person or account management person, maybe send her a cold email. If it's compelling enough, I think Ishveen might respond. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. The I think what really resonated with me is that, you know, some people before they start a company or before they kind of go on to the journey of starting a business, they think they need to cross all the T's, dot the I's, figure out the product, figure out the team, figure everything out without actually getting the business started. And you saw an opportunity because you had the experience, you saw a gap in the market and you wanted to solve it. And you didn't wait for permission. You didn't wait for anybody to tell you, okay, you now are ready. You just did it. And clearly, you got that validation that you needed. You got into 500 startups. You kept on moving the ball forward and executing even when you didn't have all the answers. And that, I think, is the mark of a true entrepreneur, somebody that's willing to take a risk because that is inherently seems inherently risky to a lot of people, which is why a lot of people just stay in full-time jobs because everything's kind of figured out for you. Here, there is no blueprint. You figure out the blueprint as you're going along, but that is also where you can reap the benefits of success and where you can feel a lot of the awesome things that come with, with being a founded entrepreneur. Ishveen Anand, thanks so much for coming on the show. We wish the best of luck for open sponsorship and we're looking forward to following your journey. Awesome, thank you. Thank you. Awesome, that was great. Thanks so much. Oh,